Real people, real stories, real insight, and all straight from the horse's mouth. If it's equestrian, it's on another instalment of Under the Saddle with Adam Cromarty. Well, this time, my guest is Georgina Bloomberg, who's had lots of success in the world of international show jumping, but also juggles that with doing a ton for charity and, of course, looking after her son Jasper, who's just a couple of weeks younger than my son, so I know just how hard that juggling actually is. In fact, a few hours before she was due to jump in Washington, D.C., she was at Old Salem Farm in New York, dressed as a paleontologist to match Jasper's dinosaur costume, and his pony was disguised as a car from Jurassic Park. But they won the costume class there, then she came straight back to DC and was in the ring, jumping the World Cup. I can honestly say Georgina is one of the nicest, down-to-earth and most straightforward people to chat to. Even when we recorded the podcast you're about to hear, she said right at the very beginning, before the microphones were turned on, that she was willing to chat about anything. And as you're about to hear, we pretty much covered everything. Are you nervous? No, I don't get nervous. Okay, well, let's see if we can work on that. We can talk about politics, yeah. religion, guns. Anything. Well, why don't we start with uh, how it all started for you. When did you start riding? How did you get into horses? So I started riding when I was four years old. Um, my mother, who is British, had grown up around horses and just wanted my sister and I to be around horses. And so my sister started taking some lessons. I wanted to do everything that she did. Um, and just started at a local barn, just you know, sort of going and using a local pony and... Um, I actually didn't really enjoy it when I first started. I was terrified. Mm. Uh, I didn't want to trot. I didn't want to canter. But I was too stubborn to stop. So I stuck with it. And then um, actually my first time competing was when I was about six years old. I did a walk trot class at Old Salem. And came in six out of six. And I hated the feeling of losing. Um, and I decided that I really wanted to experience winning. And so went home and um, really dedicated myself to figuring out the riding thing and um, you know, even at that age, started working really hard and deciding that I wanted to go to a horse show again and win. Um, and then I can't remember exactly when it was, but I remember, you know, sort of my first time going into somebody probably a short stirrup class and winning and just absolutely loving the feeling and that got me hooked. And in your childhood, what was that like away from horses? What was it like growing up as Georgina Lindberg? Um, you know, it was very normal. I mean, we grew up in the city, um, so we commuted out to Westchester to ride. Um, so I think, you know, really early on, um, it was something that I had to learn to dedicate myself to and to make sacrifices for. Mm. Um, and it wasn't something that came easily being in the city. Obviously, you know, you, you have to get in a car after school, go out and ride. You give up time with friends and doing after school sports and you do your homework in the car and it's tiring. And very early on, it was something that I had to sort of make a decision. Is this something I want to do? Um, and that really carried on for me because obviously as you get older, you're always going to be making sacrifices and um, having to work your, your outside life around the riding and around the horse shows. And so I think early on, it was a good lesson to learn to, if you want to do this, you really have to dedicate yourself to do it and go all in and realize that it's not going to be easy. And what was it like growing up as a Bloomberg in New York? Um, you know, I think New York is a great place to, to grow up in that sense in that, um, you know, nobody really feels that they're special. Um, and, you know, to be fair, you know, my childhood was very normal. Um, my father made money sort of later on in my, in my life, which I think was really good. And um, my mother was wonderful at keeping us grounded. Um, you know, she grew up w with not much and, um, you know, always sort of instilled in my sister and I, you know, sort of this, this idea that, you know, you're nothing special in, in the best possible way. You know, mm. obviously, um, parents are always trying to teach their kids that they're special in, in, in positive yeah, ways. Yeah. But, um, but you know, in, in all the right ways, we were, we were always made to feel very normal. And, you know, in New York, it's also very good because, you know, you're in a, in a big pool of people who 
Um, a lot of them are very similar to you, and hmm. you really aren't special in that in that way. So I think that it was really healthy. Um, I was exposed to a lot of other different things. Um, you know, the riding was a big part of my life, but we did a lot of other things. I was able to play other sports, and um, and really able to balance, you know, a good city life and a good education and a good social life with um, with also being able to ride and, and have that life. Um, and then I really enjoyed being able to be dropped off at the barn, and you know, our parents were sort of leaving us at the barn for, you know, for the entire day, so that I could run around with my friends and mm. uh, learn to take care of the horses and the ponies, and get into trouble and have fun and go on trail rides and just really enjoy that part of it. And what were you like at school? Because I hated school and I, I always ended up with <laughs> <the> horses. <laughs> I also hated school. Um, I was um, I was never really good at school. Um, mm. You know, very early on, I sort of I, I struggled with school a bit. Um, and riding was sort of my outlet. Riding was yeah. something that I was good at and that I could excel at, and so I think I threw myself more into the riding and tried a little bit less at school. And then as a teenager, um, I was you know, sort of a, a bit of a rebellious teenager, um, <laughs> did, didn't really want to be in class, and um, you know, again, riding became my outlet. It was something that I, I really felt accepted in the riding world, and I felt like I was good at that. Um, and because I wasn't good at school, I probably didn't, didn't try as hard as I possibly could. So um, I was not very good at school. But um, what I did actually was I took two years off after high school. Mm -hmm. um, I took a gap year just because my mother being English, she, she sort of made my sister and I both take gap years, which was the best decision for me. And I, I grew up a lot and yeah. was able to do things, um, you know, that I'd never had the chance to do. I, I, I worked at the Museum of modern art, I was able to travel and to do things. I lived in Spain for three months. Um, I concentrated on the riding a bit and I really grew up and I decided that I definitely wanted to go to college and to, to sort of, you know, take advantage of the opportunity of an education, mm. um, which I, you know, as a teenager didn't realize how lucky I was to have that opportunity. And, you know, after growing up a little bit after high school, I realized that it would be a waste to, to not have that. And um, I took a second year off actually because I had a fall and fractured my spine right before I was about to start college. So I was a little bit older when I went to New York University, um, and I think that was really a positive thing for me because you know, at 18 years old, straight out of high school, I wasn't ready to go and, and, and go to college, but um, by the time I went, I was really sort of a bit more mature and ready to concentrate on things and um, excited to have the opportunity to learn. That's fascinating because when I was at school, I was never there, mm -hmm. and I just hated it. Mm -hmm. And I left school and then went back to university when I was about 21. Mm -hmm. and found out when I was doing criminal law that I was actually dyslexic. Okay, interesting. So yeah. I, that's why I hated yeah. school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a kind of similar yeah, little pattern. Yeah, And no. if I'd went to uni at 18, I would never have yeah. stayed. I'd have been out yeah. of there within yeah. a year. Yeah, I think, you know, everyone's different, and um, mm. you know, everybody needs a different system for learning. Um, yeah. And I think that that's, that's a really good thing, and so many kids don't, don't get that opportunity to find that out until it's too late, and they're mm. just told that they're not good at school and that, you know, they're never going to be successful at anything. And um, I sort of refuse to accept that, and... Um, I was very lucky that I had the opportunity to go back to school and realize that, you know, I did want to do school and I could be good at it, but it had to be on my terms and it had to be things that I was genuinely interested in. And yeah. that wasn't necessarily what, you know, they were trying to teach me when, back when I was, you know, in middle school in New York City. And when you were at university, was there any uh, indication that you weren't going to write for a living? Did you think you were going to use this degree or? Um, you know, it was interesting. I um before I started at New York University, I was considering going to art school. Um, mm -hmm. I had done a lot of art growing up and um, had always sort of wanted to go that route. And then it was actually rejected from the art school that I wanted to go to um, and had sort of decided that it, you know, it probably wasn't the right choice for me if I wanted to ride as well because going to art school, it's a full, you know, full-time job. You have yeah. to really dedicate yourself to that. And there wouldn't have been the time to, to, to do riding mm -hmm. as well. Um, so that was sort of one of the choices that I made with, with doing NYU. And... Also, one of the reasons I chose NYU was because I wanted to be able to ride a little bit as well. So 
I think, you know, during my time there, it was sort of up in the air. Yeah. I wanted to see where school took me. Um, I, you know, because I was a little bit older, I, I, I realized that I could try different things there and that something might stick and I might mm. take a course that I really loved and wanted to dedicate myself to. Um, and then actually my first time going competing in Europe as a part of the Developing Rider Tour um, was when I really fell in love with it. And I think seeing what the sport could be outside of America and being a part of a U.S. team and seeing the European way with, with this sport was what made me really decide that this is something I wanted to dedicate my life to. Mm -hmm. And I still wanted to have the education, but that I did want to do this professionally. And it was sort of the same year I was offered my first sponsorship. And it was just sort of everything sort of came together and um, came at the right time for me. You've kind of never looked back. What's been okay. the big highlight so far? Um, you know, I mean, listen, I think that riding for the U.S. team has always been a highlight for me. Um, my time with, you know, touring touring Europe with them um, has been wonderful. I think representing your country is the biggest honor. Um, being able to go to the World Cup finals, being able to go to the Pan Am Games, those are things that, for me, are amazing. And, you know, I think it all really started with going to the Young Rider Championships. Yeah. I've always said that that's incredibly important for, for kids to experience, and that was sort of what gave me the tools that I needed to be able to make the developing rider tour and then the senior mm -hmm. teams. Um, and it also just, it taught me so much. It taught me about setting a goal for the year and you know figuring out how to accomplish that um, and everything that you need to do to, to put into that. Um, so I think without having the experience of the Young Rider Championships, I probably would not have moved on and, and really and really done that. But um, I would say for sure, looking back, any of my big highlights have always been part of a team. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had some individual successes, which have been amazing. Um, and you know, for me, nothing has really ever outlived going and doing part of the part of the U.S. team and being a part of that and sharing that with some of the mm -hmm. other teammates. And talking about teams, you now own a GCL team. Mm -hmm. You're involved quite heavily with Global Champions Tour, yeah. and I think it's great for the sport to have that outlet. But we've always tried to say that it's not an elitist sport. Right. And do you think, being devil's advocate, there's a, a kind of chance that it may be viewed mm -hmm. as an elitist sport because it's kind of presented with who's in hospitality right. and... There's a lot of famous people that go. Yeah. Everyone there is pretty much right. rich. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's obviously an issue that comes up all the time, mm. um, and you know, it is it is an expensive sport. It's expensive to own the horses. It's expensive to 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 compete, to travel, to do everything. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it, people think sometimes that it's it's difficult to believe coming from me, but I think. I have so much respect for so many of the riders who are or the, some of the top riders who really came from nothing yeah. and who worked their way up. Um, and when you look at you know the NFL or the NHL, owning a team is expensive. Mm. Yeah. It, it's the same way in any sport. Um, owning a team for you know the GCT is expensive, um, but it doesn't mean that any of the riders can't make it if they don't have money. And I, you know I have so many kids who come to me and our mothers write to me and say, "Listen, you know we have nothing. How are we ever going to make it in the sport?" Mm. And I think when you look at somebody like Kent Farrington. You know, one of the few things he never says what he wasn't given, what he wasn't, you know, what he wasn't born with. Yeah. Um, you know, he took what he had and he made the most of it. He had determination, he had talent, he took every opportunity he possibly had, and now he's, you know, to me, the best rider in America, mm -hmm. and he's had, you know, amazing success. So I think, you know, it, it is obviously um, an elite sport in many ways when you look at the GCTs and you look at the VIP and this and that. Um, but it's also something that is you know, accessible as a sport to really anybody. Yeah. And so many of the riders who are actually competing, who are actually in the ring, and when you when you look past sort of the VIP and the, the celebrities who come and be photographed, there's that part of it. But there's that part of it with every sport. Mm -hmm. um, and with the actual athletes, I do not believe that you need to be rich to, to make it in the sport. So we're going to move on a bit more to your personal life. Mm -hmm. So you've got an adorable son <laughs> who yeah. seems to be traveling about with you all over the place. Yeah. 
Can you tell us a bit about that background? He's now five? Yeah, he'll be six in December. Uh, mine's six in December as well. Okay. What date's yours? 24th. 11th for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> My holidays are a bit more stressful than yours. <laughs> so how is it traveling <coughs> with Jasper as well? It's wonderful. You know, I mean, listen, it's what he was born into and he's hmm. never known anything different. Um, thankfully, he's very easygoing and, um, you know, I have, I have a good support system around me where I can pick up and go to a horse show and leave him at home and know that he's going to be taken care of. Um, but obviously, you know, as he gets older, especially, I want to be there more often. And, um, you know, it's a, a part of the sport where I have to make sacrifices and there's times where I can't be... Um, as present as a mother that I, as I would like, and there's times where I can't be, you know, riding as much as I know I need to be, or mm. um, concentrate on the horses as much as I, I think I should be. So it's all about finding that balance. Um, but you know, obviously, he's the most important thing in the world to me. And yeah. there are times where I'm able to be, you know, more of a, a mother than I am a rider, and times where I have to be a rider more than a mother. And um, it all sorts of, you know, it, it, every year it's going to change. Uh, you know, there's been a few years where I haven't had super horses, and I was able to sort of be around for. You know, every play date and every birthday party and, mm. you know, every school event and be there as much as I possibly could um, and put that first. And then there's times right now where I have, you know, super horses. Obviously, we're leading up to an Olympic year. This is a time where I sort of have to say, listen, I'm not going to feel guilty about the fact that I can't be there for every single thing. There's mm. going to be times where I have to put my career first and, and, you know, be there as much as possible for him but not feel guilty about the fact that yeah. sometimes I have to be away for work. Um, and so I think it's just finding that balance and learning to not feel guilty about it. Mm. Um, which is obviously easier said than done. It's very tough. <laughs> um, I don't know if you find the same, but when I'm home, I'm, I'm home. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm home for a couple of weeks. Right. Where most people would be out to the office nine to five right. at least every day. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's been really good for me to learn to really sort of compartmentalize and to really focus on what I'm doing at a given time. You yeah. know, when I'm at a horse show or when I'm at the barn, I'm totally focused and... Um, you know, try to really just put everything else aside and really focus on my job then because mm. I know that my time doing that is, is more precious. Uh, and then when I go home, as much as possible, I have to tune out the horses and, you know, put whatever happened that weekend or whatever I'm focusing on aside and really focus on being 100% a parent. So um, I think, you know, you just sort of learn to, to appreciate what you're doing at that given moment, give it your all. And this is something I struggle with. So if we go to, to London shopping and we go somewhere like Harrods, mm -hmm. Oliver wants to go and look at Gucci, and there's yeah. something inside that says, <laughs> yes, because I love shopping. My wife yeah. hates shopping. I love shopping. Yeah. But then I think in the back of my mind, am I teaching them good life skills right. here? Like, yeah, it's, it is, it's very tricky. I think, you know, obviously, you know, as a parent, you want to give your kid everything that you possibly can. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think, you obviously, you, you know, within reason, you have to create a child that's not going to be spoiled. And, mm. you know, I always say that Jasper can be anything he wants to be in the world except for a brat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's, it's obviously, it's a, it's a struggle um, to say no to things. And, and you mm. know, I, I'm still learning what to do. And, you know, for example, we do little things like Jasper doesn't get an allowance. Mm -hmm. What we do is if he wants a toy, we figure out how much it is, we figure out, and then he has, to, he has to earn the money and he has to work. And he comes to the barn and he does things like he sweeps and, you know, he polishes things and he cleans things. And, you know, is he actually earning the money to, to buy it? No, but what he's earning is if you want something, you work to, to, to buy it. Yeah. Um, and there's times where I say no. And there's times where I say, listen, you can, you can figure out how you can earn the money and get this and, and do that. And we figure out a system because it is obviously a, a tricky thing where mm -hmm. I want to give my kid everything I possibly can yeah. in the world. And, yeah, I mean, I think it, it is, it, it's definitely very tricky to provide everything for your kid, but then obviously have mm -hmm. them still appreciate it, especially at that age. Is Jasper's dad still involved as well? Yeah, he's he's wonderful. He you know doesn't get to see Jasper as much as possible. I mean, he's he's obviously busy with his career as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, but whenever he's in New York, he comes to visit him, and he's a wonderful friend of mine. And you know he'll be as involved as much as he possibly can. So. And what's happening in the love life of Georgina Bloomberg just now? 
Um, nothing currently, thank you. Um, no, I have. Um, I, I'm really. You know, it's it's um, it's obviously a hard life with yeah. you know with with the riding and with traveling and all that. Um, so you know, I have. Um, you know, obviously focusing on the riding, and I think when the right situation comes around, um, I'll be ready. But for right now, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to talk about the elephant in the room: politics. Uh, yeah. Sitting in Washington DC with yeah. a Bloomberg, it'd be rude not to mention it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've been fairly outspoken on your your Instagram. I yeah. saw a bumper sticker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, it's 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 an issue that's coming up more yeah. and more. Um, and you know, thankfully, I st do really stay out of it. Um, I was very much kept out of it when my father decided to run for mayor, which was you know a good thing for me. Mm. Um, I support him whatever he decides to do. Um, obviously, personally, for me, I would prefer that he does not choose to run just because it's you know it's tricky with um, watching your family go through that. I've yeah. been through that obviously on a mayoral level. I'm sure it's a thousand times worse obviously mm. on a presidential level, and it's something that is never easy on family. Um, and wouldn't be easy on, on me personally. It also wouldn't be easy on him. It, it's it's a struggle, and I understand why the country, you know, obviously is you know, at least part of it pushing for him to, to, to make a decision and to do it, um, and I would be supportive of him either way. Um, it also obviously gets tricky because I'm very good fr friends with most of the Trump kids. Yeah. Um, I was with them the other night, and they're wonderful people and good friends of mine, and um, obviously that would make the dynamic very difficult. Uh, and charities, that's another huge part of your life. Yeah. How do you get involved with so many charities? Um, you know, it's just sort of grown over time. And what I do is I, I do support a lot of charities, but they're all charities that really genuinely mean something to me. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I don't usually get involved with things that I don't have a personal connection to or really genuinely care about because you can't really help everything. Yeah. Um, and then you spread yourself too thin and you don't get to make a difference in the ones that really matter to you. And obviously animals have always been, um, you know, the biggest thing to me. Mm. Um, so I work with a lot of different dog rescues, which is something that just grew over time. It came all from deciding I wanted to adopt a dog, walking into a pound, living with the most wonderful dog in the world, and then, you know, trying to figure out how that happened and how you know, the other dogs that were going to be left there that day, how they ended up there. And it was just one of those things that the more I knew, the more I learned, um, sort of the more involved I got and the more passionate I got about it. And there's so many different levels of it, you know, everything from puppy mills to spay and neuter programs mm -hmm. um, to, you know, e even issues with, you know, people who get deployed or go to the hospital or lose their housing. So many of the dogs that end up in pounds come from issues like this um, and really figuring out how we can sort of combat every single link on the chain, not just one. So... Yeah. Um, it's something that I've gotten sort of more and more involved with and more passionate about. Um, but animals have always been my biggest focus. And um, between that and my work with the Riders Closet, um, it really does keep me busy. And those are the two things that I really genuinely just care the most about and know that I can make a difference with. And um, with the Riders Closet, it's something that ha has grown over time and that I'm incredibly proud of because it's something I started myself. And it was, you know, it's just something that I saw a need for. And then you know, it's one of those things where people say, well, I wish this existed. Mm -hmm. And then you say, okay, well, actually, if it doesn't exist, go out and create it. Um, that's sort of what I did. And I think that, um, you know, I'm incredibly proud of that because I actually started it and not just getting involved in it. And if people haven't heard of the Writer's Closet, tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about it. So it's a program I started back in 2006. Um, mm -hmm. It was actually when I had started at NYU. I became friends with a girl who had grown up riding. And yeah. um, I asked her if she was going to join the equestrian team. And she said that she would love to, but she couldn't because she couldn't afford riding clothing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was sort of right at that time where I had a lot of friends who had graduated from high school, moved on to college, and quit riding, and had closets full of riding clothing that they weren't using and didn't know what to do with it. Um, and so I contacted a friend of mine who was very involved with his college equestrian team. He set me up with a couple people to talk to, uh, and we just started getting the word out. And I decided mm. that I was going to start collecting clothing. 
um, and then getting it out to some of these universities. And it, it started very small. It was literally me going to horse shows, just telling people and getting a few items here and there, and then sending them off to different equestrian teams. And then I started getting letters from people who weren't involved in, in, in equestrian teams, where there were just individuals who said, listen, you know, we can't afford britches, we can't afford boots, can you help us out? And it just started growing from there. And I started collecting items actually in my mother's garage, took yeah. over the garage, which she was not thrilled about. And um, <laughs> I would literally unpack all, everything, pack up boxes, get them out myself. Um, and then it started growing more and more and I realized that I couldn't really keep up. So we mm. actually moved it to a therapeutic riding center nearby where um, one of the staff members started running it for me. And then all the volunteers who came in um, were able to help out. There are a lot of volunteers who were coming who didn't feel comfortable working with horses but wanted community service hours or you know, a, a way to help and to give back. Um, and so they were able to really just dedicate themselves to, to doing this for me. And we were able to immediately start helping you know, hundreds more people than I would have ever been able to do yeah. myself. Um, and it was able to grow. And we actually just brought it back to our farm. I have somebody now who works for us full time running it. We joined up with the Aquas Foundation. Um, so they're really able to, to help us grow and to help us, you know, help people in, in more ways than just with clothing, mm -hmm. which is something I've always wanted to do. Um, and, you know, we send out hundreds of boxes a week to people all over from college question teams, therapeutic riding centers, individuals. Um, you know, I've, I've been lucky. I, I know there's a couple of people actually on this circuit that I've helped. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm incredibly proud of that. And that there, there's, there's, there's one girl who I won't name who actually won a major equitation final wearing some of my clothing. And that was one of my That's proudest amazing. moments yeah, because, yeah. you know, I think so many people think that the people who are in this world can all afford their own clothing and do this and do that. And it's not that way. And, yeah. um, and you know, um, it's something that, it's a way to give back to a sport that has given me so much. And you just do so much for charity. I know you were out the other night with Ariana yeah. Rockefeller. Yeah. And you ended up going home in a police car. I did, yeah. <laughs> I did. That, that, came, about, yeah. <laughs> that came about, it came about a bit, a bit in, a, in a weird way. I actually had gotten a phone call um, when I was at this event with Ariana um, about a dog that had been dropped off at a police precinct in Brooklyn. Um, and could I help? And I said, no problem, I'll take her. And um, so I asked if they could bring the dog to me because I was downtown. And so, of course, I'm standing outside. Um, and a police car pulls up. And they get out and introduce themselves and, you know, they, they introduced me to the dog, and then I realized that I actually don't have a way of getting the dog back to my apartment, so I asked them if they could give me a ride home. Um, they asked me if I wanted to sit in the front, and I said, no, no, I want to sit in the back. I've never done this before. It's a, it's a first. So, so they threw me into the back of the police car um, and drove me home, and it was, uh, it was quite an experience. Um, it was my, my first time and hopefully my last time in the back of a police car. Um, and, um, and we have the dog actually at our farm in North Salem now. She's wonderful, and um, you know, we'll, we'll get her fixed up a little bit. She needs to get some weight on her, get to the vet, all that, and then we'll find her a home. And it's not just dogs. You've got a pig at home and we have, a goat. We have pigs, goats. <laughs> we have donkeys. We have, we have everything. Um, we've. Yeah. It's. Um, it's funny. We. Um, we've just been collecting animals. You know, and they've just mm. sort of. You know, anytime there's an animal in need, I have a hard time saying no. So um, we've just sort of. You know gotten a couple of animals. We, we had two cows come to us. Uh, it was a, a mother cow who was actually about to be slaughtered and was pregnant. We pulled her. And uh, so now we have two wonderful cows. And so it's just sort of happened where we don't go looking for them. They seem to come to us. And we actually, we have a, a rooster and a pigeon now, <laughs> both of whom have just literally walked onto our property and decided we're going to live here now. <laughs> the word's uh, spreading. So now, exactly, word has spread in the animal community that if you come to us, we'll build you a fancy home and feed you and you never have to leave. So um, we now have animals that we are actually not going out adopting. They're actually just coming to us. <laughs> adopting us so 
The pig of things getting more and more famous though. Do you have to <laughs> like Google how to look after them or? I actually did. I had to when I when I <laughs> the, the the pig actually was at um, a, a pound in New Jersey after mm. Hurricane Sandy. Um, a lot of the dogs from New York City were displaced. Went to this one particular pound, um, and I went with a friend of mine to volunteer there. And the pig was there, um, and he said, well, "You should adopt this pig." And I couldn't come up with a reason why I shouldn't adopt the pig. So of course I adopted the pig, hmm. um, and I literally on the way home had to Google what do pigs eat. Um, yeah. The answer is pretty much everything. There's, there's a term <laughs> for it, but it's pretty much everything. <laughs> um, and finally, we've talked about. I always say to people when they come to America, I never mm -hmm. talk about politics, yeah. guns, religion. We've talked about politics. Yeah. Thoughts on guns? Thoughts on religion? Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> you said um, you'd talk about guns, anything. Yeah, I mean, I am. Um, I I'm very pro gun control. Okay. Um, I understand both sides of the argument, but I am very pro-gun control. I think obviously, you know, now having a child in school, mm -hmm. um, it is a big concern. Um, I mean, for example, the other day Jasper came home and said that they'd done a drill. Yeah. Um, and the way he described it, it, it was obviously, it was to me, it, it was obviously it was not a fire drill. It was not, you know, one of these drills where you get up and you, you get out of the building. Mm -hmm. um, it was obviously a, a drill for, and he was very aware of the fact that it was for if somebody who's not supposed to be in the school comes into the school and the kids are on lockdown and they, yeah. they teach them how to basically hide in their cubbies and be quiet and it the doors are locked. terrifying as a parent. Though. And it's, yeah, and it was actually, I have to say, it was a really emotional thing for me to hear him talk about mm -hmm. because he understood what it was for. Yeah. Um, you know, he didn't think it was some fun activity. He knew it was for if somebody who was bad who was coming into your school was trying to hurt you. Mm. And um, it's scary to have a child who, uh, who's this age that understands that, but it's, you know, obviously even scary as a parent to think this is even something they have to do. Yeah. It's not something that I had to do when I was a kid, and mm. it's something that our children are going to have to face. Um, and so I think, you know, I was always very pro gun control. I'm very pro, you know, background checks and, and um, I, I am not anti gun, um, mm. neither is my father. But we are very pro-gun control, um, and I think anybody who has a child who is out there and in school has to be. Has to be. And are you religious? Um, I actually, so um, I was raised, my father is Jewish, my mother is Episcopalian, Church of, okay. Church of England technically, but Episcopalian. Um, and so I was actually raised more Episcopalian than anything. Um, so, and my mother is actually very religious. She goes to church every Sunday, mm -hmm. um, and she's she sort of tried to instill that in us. So um, that's sort of what I'm raising Jasper, and um, I would say that I'm definitely, you know, more Episcopalian than anything else. Well, we've answered all the difficult questions. I know. I'm amazed. <laughs> You're so easy. <laughs> Thank you very yeah, much. like I told you, I'll talk about anything. <laughs> Tune in again next time. If it's equestrian, it's on Under the Saddle with Adam Cromarty.